Hello, and welcome to the Parabola Podcast. I'm story editor Betsy Cornwell. Each month, I'll bring you essays, stories, and poetry from Parabola's 40 years of archives, which you can also access for free online at parabola.org. Today, I'd like to share with you some excerpts from our new issue, Hope, and I'll begin with Mark Nepo's Eight Worldviews and Practices. Since prehistoric hunters had to work together in order to survive, people have had to learn how to share both the workload and the harvest, and the problems and the joys. Through the centuries, traditions have formed and complexities have grown, but the health of all community depends on how we treat each other. I'd like to explore eight worldviews and the practices they offer. Each can help us stay wholehearted, authentic, and in true relationship to life and each other. The Native American notion of all my relations views all of reality and life as related and interconnected. Every aspect of life is seen as part of one intrinsic family. In the Blackfoot tribe, when people meet, they don't say, how are you, but how are the connections? If the connections are in place, we must be all right. If the connections are not in place, then we need to tend them first. Inherent in the Native American view is that our well-being is based on how everything goes together. There can be no lasting individual health unless there is a working harmony among all living things. The practice that grows from this worldview is the need to discover, name, and repair the connections that exist between all things. This is considered sacred and necessary work. The African ethic of Ubuntu is often translated as I am because you are, you are because I am. It implies that we find our humanity in each other. Ubuntu literally means a person is a person through other persons. This heartfelt tradition concentrates on the irrevocable connectedness that exists between people. Based on this fundamental commitment to human kinship, there is no word for orphan in the African continent because each tribe automatically assumes a lost child as part of its larger family. At work here is the belief that in our very nature, we rely on each other to grow. As quarks combine to form protons and neutrons, which then form atoms, which then form molecules, individuals innately form families, which then form tribes, which then form nations. Our strong need to interact stems from the irreducible nature of love. In fact, all the worldviews we're discussing are manifestations of our innate need to join. The practice that comes from the notion of Ubuntu is the vow to water our common roots by which we all grow and to honor our strong need to join. The Hindu view takes us through ourself and beyond ourself into the interdependent mystery where we find ourselves in each and every living thing. This is what the holy phrase, thou art that, means. The notion comes from the story in the Chandogya Upanishad of a humble fa father Udalaka and his precocious son Svetaketu, who at an early age is chosen to study with the holy Brahmins, the priest class in India who study spiritual knowledge. As soon as he begins to study, Svetaketu has no use for his father. He looks down on his simple father and never asks him a question. One day, his father interrupts him, and Svetaketu impatiently asks, What do you want, father? Udalaka says, I want you to come with me. He leads his son to the foot of the great Nyagrodha tree. He picks a fruit and asks his son to hold it. 
then asks him, what do you see? His son curtly answers, nothing. I see nothing. His father asks him to break open the fruit, which Svetiketu does, and then they can see the seeds inside it. Again, his father asks him, what do you see? Again, his son says, I see nothing, father, nothing. Udalaka takes a seed, which is hollow in the center, and puts it close to his son's face and says, thou art that, my son, thou art that nothing. More than putting his son in place, Udalaka jars him to feel the great truth that out of that unseeable center we all come to be. We all grow from this great nothing, even the massive Neagorda tree. And so the practice we're compelled to learn here is how to face and feel a life of compassion that honors that we are at heart the same. The notion of I and thou, discerned by the philosopher Martin Buber, holds that God only appears in the unrehearsed, authentic dialogue between two living centers. When we see ourselves as the sun and everyone else we meet as planets in our world, we are trapped in the I-it relationship, objectifying everyone we meet. But when we meet others as equal living beings, each with their own center, then we live out the I and thou relationship, through which the mystery manifests as a vital life force between us. Buber discovered the notion of I and thou while walking in a field at dusk as a storm was approaching. Leaning on a walking stick, he stopped near a huge oak tree. Lightning appeared, and he could see everything about him clearly. In the darkness that followed, he could only tap his way blindly until his walking stick touched the thick bark of the oak before him. In that moment, he could feel the tree through his walking stick, though he wasn't directly touching it. The walking stick became a symbol for the authentic dialogue that lets us feel life in the honest speech we offer. The practice that arises from this worldview is to stay committed to the life of honest conversation. The Lebanese greeting, Ya Ayuni, literally means, Oh my eyes, or Oh my darling. Implicit in this ancient greeting is the recognition that we need each other to see, that one view is insufficient. Empowered by the presence of each other, the Lebanese people say, Oh, my eyes, you're here. Now we can see. This custom reminds me of how Native American elders meet in a circle, not just for equity, but so that each elder will have a direct view of the center. The belief at the heart of this worldview is that the center and the whole are not comprehensible by any one person alone. Therefore, we need everyone's view to glimpse the enduring truths of life. And so we gather meaning, we don't choose it. Like the xian, the mythical bird of ancient China that has only one eye and one wing, we must find each other in order to see and fly. Oh, my eyes, you're here, now we can see. The joyous practice of this custom that we sorely need to enliven today is to welcome other views and the belief that we need each other to be complete. The next notion of connection comes from the early Christian mystics, the desert fathers of the third century, who gave us the metaphor of the great spoked wheel. Imagine that each soul on earth is a spoke in the infinite wheel and that no two spokes are the same. The rim of that wheel is our living sense of community and each spoke does its part to hold up the rim. But the common hub where all spokes join is the one center where all souls come from. As I become myself out in the world, I discover my unique gifts and find the one particular place on the rim of the great wheel that is mine to uphold. 
And so as I move into the world, I live out my uniqueness. But when love and suffering cause me to go inward, I discover the common center where we are all the same. When I dare to look into my own core, I come upon the one common core where all lives meet. In our becoming, which grows outward, and our being, which grows inward, we live out the paradox of being both unique and the same. The image of the great spoked wheel shows us how we need each other. If any of these parts are removed, the wheel falls apart. Remove any of the spokes, which are the individual souls that make up life, and the wheel doesn't turn. Remove the center, which is God, and there is no wheel. The practice offered here is to embody the paradox of our uniqueness and commonness by which the great wheel of humanity turns. The Danish notion of hygge comes from a Norwegian word meaning well-being. The word first appeared in Danish writing in the 18th century. The Danish word suggests coziness. As a practice of community, hygge refer refers to the atmosphere we create between us. The Danish practice of Huga invites us to create well-being, connection, warmth, and a sense of belonging. In Denmark and Norway, Huga refers to a form of everyday togetherness, a pleasant and highly valued everyday experience of safety, equality, personal wholeness, and a spontaneous social flow. The final worldview comes from a greeting offered by African Bushmen. For centuries, the Bushmen have affirmed each other with resolve. When one becomes aware of his brother or sister coming out of the brush after hunting or gathering, the one at home exclaims, I see you, and then the returning rejoices, I am here. This timeless gesture of bearing witness is both simple and profound. We all need to be seen and heard, recognized and verified. This is the emotional lifeblood of all relationship, which in our busyness and pain we often forget. The wholehearted acknowledgement of each other's journey is at the heart of all therapy. The practice enjoined here is to be present and bear witness to each other and other life. Whether someone is filling your glass with water at a restaurant or taking your change at a gas station, no one is invisible. By being alive, we're enlisted to affirm each other by saying, I see you, in whatever way we can. In summary, the eight worldviews and their practices are all my relations from the Native American tradition, the practice to discover, name, and repair the connections that exist between all things, Ubuntu from the African tradition, the practice to water our common roots by which we all grow and to honor our strong need to join, Thou art that from the Hindu tradition, the practice to face and feel a life of compassion that honors that we are at heart the same the I and thou relationship from the Jewish tradition, the practice to stay committed to the life of honest conversation, Ya Ayuni from the Lebanese tradition, the practice to welcome other views and the belief that we need each other to be complete, the great spoked wheel from the early Christian mystic tradition, the practice to embody the paradox of our uniqueness and commonness by which the great wheel of humanity turns, Huga from the Danish tradition, the practice to create well-being, connection, warmth, and a sense of belonging. I see you, I am here, from the African Bushman tradition, the practice to be present and bear witness to each other and other life. 
How we personalize these ancient worldviews and their vibrant practices is for each of us to discover. What does it mean for you to repair the connections, to water our common roots, to face a life of compassion, to stay in honest conversation, to welcome other views, to honor our uniqueness and commonness, to create a sense of belonging, and to bear witness to each other? These are not concepts, but living tools by which tribes and cultures have sustained human growth on Earth. How can you make good use of these tools today? By figuring out how to enact these practices in our daily life, we can strengthen the human community, one relationship at a time. The health of all community depends on how we treat each other. Next, I'd like to share with you one of my favorite fairy tales about hope, Brother and Sister from the Brothers Grimm. Eerie and evocative, and much darker than the battlerized princess stories we know so well, it draws its sense of profound hope from that very darkness. Sister took brother by the hand and said, we have to leave. Their mother had died and then their father, leaving them with a cruel stepmother who beat them whenever they came near her. Their only hope lay in running away. So, once upon a time, they left. Brother and sister walked through meadows and mountains, forests and fields. Bad weather followed them wherever they went, for their stepmother was a wicked witch, and she had cursed them. Sister said, the heavens are weeping with us. They took comfort in each other and in the way that nature shared their grief, and they traveled on. They came to a stream, and brother was so thirsty that he ran forward to drink. But sister heard the stream say, your stepmother has enchanted me. If you drink from me, I will turn you into a wild beast. She tried to stop her brother, but it was too late. He transformed into a golden deer right before her eyes. Sister wove a halter from rushes and slipped it around brother's neck. The maiden and the deer kept walking for days upon days and nights upon nights until they came to a small abandoned cottage in the woods. Sister was determined to make a life there. She chopped wood for the fire, and she sent brother out to gather moss with his soft deer's mouth. They slept side by side on a bed made of moss, close to the warmth of the fireplace, and they ate the fruits of the forest. While they both mourned the loss of brother's true form, they were free of their stepmother at last, and for a long time, they were happy. One morning, brother heard a hunting call sounding through the trees. Nothing would make him happy but to follow it. Sister wept and told him he would be killed, and she tried to hold him back, but the halter of rushes broke, and brother ran after the hunt. The king who led the hunt soon spied the golden deer. He ordered his hunters to capture, but not to kill it. The deer ran fleetly, but the hunters pursued it all the way back to the cottage. Sister ran outside when she saw them approach, and she pushed herself in front of brother to protect him. You will not kill this deer, she cried. The king stared at her, struck with awe. We mean him no harm, he said, nor you either, my lady. Love grew like vast forests in his heart as he looked at sister. Will you come back to my palace and be my wife? Sister saw kindness as well as love in the king's eyes. I will, she said, if I may take my dear with me, for we must never part. The king agreed, and they went with him to the royal city. 
Sister became the queen, and the king and his people adored her for her goodness. But the wicked stepmother had watched brother and sister's adventures from afar. I should have had that good fortune and been queen myself, she said. So when the time came for sister to bear her first child, the stepmother disguised herself as a midwife and attended the birth. Afterward, when sister was weak and tired, the stepmother prepared a private bath for her. It will restore you, she said, but she poisoned the water. Once she saw that sister was dead, the stepmother put on the queen's nightclothes and lay down in her bed. When the king came to her, elated with the news of his first child's birth, the stepmother told him to leave her alone, for she was weak and tired. So the king went away without seeing her face. At midnight, while everyone else in the palace slept, the nurse who sat up with the newborn baby saw a strange sight. The ghost of the true queen came into the nursery, and she picked up her baby and nursed him for some time. She tucked the baby tenderly back into his cradle, and then she turned to the deer, whom she had insisted would sleep in the nursery too. As she stroked the deer's fur, she sang, Is my child well? Is my deer well? I'll come back twice, and then farewell. And then she vanished. The nurse ran straight to the king and told him everything. The next night, the king hid himself in the nursery. At midnight, the ghost of the true queen appeared. She nursed her baby and stroked the deer, and she sang, Is my child well? Is my deer well? I'll come back once, and then farewell. The king was so overwhelmed with grief and longing, and with guilt that he had not realized his true queen was gone, that he could not move or speak. But he had hope, for his wife's ghost had said she'd come once more. The following night, the queen did indeed appear again. She nursed her baby and stroked the deer, and she sang, My child is well, my dear is well, I've come back thrice, and now farewell. As she began to disappear, the king rushed forward and said, You can be no one but my lady wife. At his words, the queen stopped fading away. In fact, she was restored completely to life, all rosy-cheeked and healthy. Yes, she said. I am your wife. And she told the king the story of all the cruel things the stepmother had done. The king had the false queen arrested and brought to trial, and she was sentenced to banishment from the kingdom. She traveled into the woods alone, where wild beasts tore her apart. As the stepmother drew her last breath, brother shed his dear form and was restored to his true body. Brother, sister, the king, and the newborn babe all lived happily for the rest of their long lives. Our time for this month's podcast has come to an end. Please feel free to visit us at parabola.org, where you'll find a host of other stories, essays, and poems available to read for free online. We'd also love to connect with you on social media, where we have active communities on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. Remember that, thanks to the Gurdjieff Foundation of Illinois, you can now also access a free searchable index of our entire 40-year archive. Parabola Magazine is a nonprofit publication, and we rely on listeners and readers like you to keep going. Please consider subscribing, purchasing a back issue, or making a tax-deductible donation to the magazine at parabola.org. Our final thought for today comes from Maxine Hong Kingston, who said, In a time of destruction, create something. 
I'm Betsy Cornwell, and this has been the Parabola Podcast. Thank you for listening.